All right, today is the second Sunday of Advent, so let's do a couple of things really quick. Um, We started on the first Sunday of Advent, maybe even before that, we started, we did kind of a little overview of the history of Advent, and then we did, uh, looked at the basic principles of Advent, and we looked at four basic principles. Those four basic principles are hope, preparation, anticipation, and joy. So what we're going to do in the first hour and in the second hour is we're going to try to finish up all four of those principles. I don't know if we will get there, but we started with hope. We looked at a lot of different concepts related to it. I think it was pretty beneficial. There was one part where we, we, we kind of stopped. We we're right at the very end And so I'll just remind you of some of the things that we said about hope. We talked about what are the sources of a believer's hope. Uh, A Christian's hope is based on God's faithfulness, not our faithfulness. Hope comes from trusting in Christ. Hope comes from remembering all that God has done for us. Hope grows as we depend on God in difficult times. And then the last one we didn't really get to is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So if you'll go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We will look at that one, and uh, see, we'll see what we can see what we can do. First right. Thessalonians chapter four. First Thessalonians chapter four. All right. First Thessalonians four. We'll, I'm going to look at it. This Bible. First Thessalonians four. We'll start in verse thirteen. We'll read it, and we'll see what this has to do with hope. See if the word is used. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Everyone there? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. We read this, But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. There's the word hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. And then they want us to go ahead and read all the way to the end of this. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So we have the idea of hope. Now it's contrasted that there are those who have hope and there are those who have no hope, And also that these words are to provide comfort, which would imply those who don't have these words would not have this comfort. So according to this passage, what is the hope that those who believe these words would have versus those who would have no hope because they don't believe these words? The hope here is based off what concept? Yeah, the, the uh, sure return of Christ, or we may refer to this as the resurrection, right? So let's read this again, and we can take it apart. Verse 13, but I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are, the key word, asleep. 
right? And that word is a reference to death, that you sorrow not. So there are those who are asleep. We should not sorrow for them. And in contrast, those who would not, who don't have this understanding, they do what? They have no hope. So we have hope. They don't have hope. And it has something to do with those who are asleep. And then it says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So now this is key. For if, the if here makes it conditional, if you want to have hope in this context, what are you to do? You're to believe in the resurrection of Christ. Because if you believe in the resurrection of Christ, then what do we then believe about those who sleep in Christ? Yeah, God will bring, uh, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. Meaning that they are not gone. They're not completely dead forever. They are alive and will come with God, will come with Christ. But it's all dependent on us believing in the resurrection. And it's also conditional. They have to be what? What's the key word here? They have to sleep in Jesus. They have to be in Jesus, right? And we know we are in Jesus by faith. So it has to be people who have put their faith in Christ. Then we do not have that sorrow. We can have hope. Once again, the hope is, and I I, I stress this over and over and over, for the Christian, hope is found in what God does and who he is, not in what we can do, should do, may do, or who we are. It has to be found in him. And Advent is all about pointing to the first and second coming. And here it's a clear reference to the second coming. And then it says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. There is the resurrection. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So the life application Handbook, the, the handbook of biblical application, I should say, um, they, they, this is what they write in regards to this uh, concept. They say, hope grows as we remember the promise of the resurrection. Because Jesus Christ came back to life, so will all believers, all Christians, include those living when Christ returns, will live with Christ forever. Therefore, we need not despair when loved ones die or the world events take a tragic turn. God will turn our tragedies to triumphs, our poverty to riches, our pain to glory, and our defeat to victory. All believers throughout history will stand reunited in God's very presence, safe and secure. As Paul comforted the Thessalonians with the promise of the resurrection, so we should comfort and reassure each other with this great hope. Now, I I don't want to get too far off track here because I'm trying to look more at these basic principles of Advent. And one of the basic principles of Advent is we do have, that we should develop hope because if we believe, think of it this way, if we believe in the first coming, then we should believe in the second coming, which involves the resurrection of those who have died and then, in a sense, the making right of everything in the world. So it definitely fits to Advent, but I think we have to be honest with this. Hope is obviously very much connected with the concept of faith, is it not? Because we are hoping, we are believing, and we're looking to something that we have yet to 
experience or to truly, truly, that, or that we can truly understand. For, the, for those suffering in Thessalonica, maybe under persecution, whatever they're going through, for them to have this, okay, we are going to believe, since we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, most of them had, did not witness that, right? So if they didn't witness the resurrection, then they have to believe, they have to by faith believe in something in the past that they did not see or did not experience, which is to give them hope about something in the future, which they have yet to experience or yet to see. And so you have to, by faith, believe in something typically in the past. Like for us, we have to believe in the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, which we've never experienced. But we have to put our faith in that to then give us faith for a future event, the resurrection of Christ, which then is to give us that hope. And the problem, the difficulty in that is first, we're trying to believe in that which we have not seen or experienced and what, and which all circumstances may actually seem to contradict it or lead to questions. Like it's, I mean, I mean, I think any reasonable person, and this is a major criticism to Christianity, and I can understand it. Well, wait a minute. You're telling me that I should have hope that Christ will return and that all this suffering and all this pain will be made right. Well, then the obvious question is, well, wait a minute. If he's going to come back to make it right, why did he ever allow it to go wrong in the first place? And if he's got the power to come back and make it right, he can make it right now. So why do the people in Thessalonica have to die? Why do the disciples have to die? Why do people have to be martyred? Why do people have to be killed? But we face that death and that persecution and that suffering thinking, well, I have hope that Christ will return and make it all right. It just seems like a, that's, that, that, that causes major difficulties in having that hope because you're literally trying to hope in the very, if you think, I say this all the time, and even though it's kind of controversial, I think we have to admit this. When a tragedy occurs, right, it can be, War, it can be disease, it can be a plague, it could be a mass shooting, whatever it is. When Christians say, you know, we're going to pray about this or we're praying about this, we do have to realize what that sounds like maybe to a non-Christian. Because what that sounds like is, wait a minute, you're going to pray to the one who let it happen. You're going to pray to the one who didn't stop it from happening. You're going to pray to the one who knew it was going to happen because now you believe he's going to intervene and act? Well, if he's the one who knew it, allowed it, and did not prevent it, why would you pray to him after? I mean, that's a very good question. And as Christians, we should not be offended by that. We should not be, like, I know we get defensive when we hear that, but it's a very valid point, is it not? It's a very valid point. Well, you know, hey, please pray for this situation. So you want me to pray to the God who didn't do anything to stop, stop it? It's like, I don't know if Christians don't understand how bizarre that sounds, but if you think about it, that's kind of the whole Bible's, this everything about hope fits that, that problem, does it not? Hey, hope that Christ will come back, there'll be a resurrection, and everything will be made right. Well, wait a minute. He's the one who didn't intervene in the death of these people in the first place. So it, it's, it's always this weird almost like a contradiction that we live in. And I don't have any easy answer. The Bible calls us, though, to have that hope, that we have a hope. But it's, it's hard to have hope 
How can I say it this way? I think as human beings, we can be honest. It's hard to have hope in someone to do something when that someone has not done that thing around us day in and day out. Does, does that make sense? Like it's hard to have hope that God is going to do this in the future when Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, what do we experience? Him not doing those things, right? Because we live in a world where there's death, there's suffering, there's pain, there's not resurrection, correct? People can claim all the healings they want, but every time you start investigating them, you find out that they're not true. So it's very hard to walk in a world where we see the opposite of what we're hoping in. And that's why it's connected to faith because the whole concept by faith is we are to walk by faith and not by sight because if we are to walk by sight, we would not have any hope. So it's hard to find that balance, but Advent is all about trying to cling to what happened in the past with such certainty that it gives us great certainty about what will happen in the future. So that is the principle of hope and all the different things about that. And so the sources of a believer's hope is it's based on God's faithfulness. Hope comes from trusting in Christ. Hope comes from remembering all that God has done for us. Uh, Hope grows as we depend on God in difficult times. And hope grows as we remember the promise of the resurrection. And even even the uh, handbook of Bible application Underneath that, they put related topics, and guess what the related topics are? Confidence, and guess what number two is? Faith. So even they understand how faith is very much connected to this, and it is, it is something that we have to uh, definitely consider, and hopefully we've at least put those together to some level. Now, the second principle, so there's hope. The second principle is supposed to be preparation. But we're going to skip it. Focus on that one for the next hour. You'll see why. Let's go to the third principle, which is anticipation. Anticipation. Now, what what could be another word for anticipation? Okay, hope could be another word for anticipation. Here's how... uh, when talking about this principle, anticipation, Advent invites believers to actively await and long for the coming of Christ. It creates a sense of eager anticipation reflecting the longing of humanity for God's presence. Now that key word, actively await. Now if I look up anticipation in the handbook of Bible application, there's not an entry for anticipation, all right? So what word do you think we could use that would kind of fit the idea of anticipation? I'm going to put the word waiting because to anticipate something is to do what? It's to wait for it, right? But now you're waiting for it in a positive way. Well, I mean, I guess anticipation could be a negative thing as well, right? You can anticipate something good. You can anticipate something negative, right? I I think so. Yeah, you're still waiting. It's just the anticipation may typically, we may think of it in a more positive way, obviously for Advent in a more positive way. But I'm just saying, 
it's anticipation is a waiting for something. So we're going to focus on anticipation slash waiting as a part of Advent. Because if you think about it, even the way it's structured, if you, ju- if you look at it from a, just a purely spiritual standpoint, we have four weeks, well, four weeks now. I mean, I know in the past it was, it was longer. But four-week period of time where we are anticipating and waiting for Christmas where we're to celebrate the coming of Christ. So it's in a roundabout way, they create a mini, a mini situation where you are to anticipate, you are to wait for the celebration of Christ. Now, in our culture, right, once the spiritual aspect is there, and of course, especially once it becomes a civil, hol- uh, you know, a civil holiday, once it becomes a federal holiday, then, uh, you know, recognized by the civil government, recognized by society, then we know it's going to turn into something not as spiritual. And that's, that's okay. That we know that was going to happen. For Christians, making it a federal holiday, a civil holiday was one of the worst concepts. But, for, but, it, but in some ways, it fits this picture. Because when, whenever you're little, what are you doing for Christmas? You're waiting. And I don't know how many... Um, so when does a Christmas break usually start in public schools? Is it about a week before or two weeks before? I don't remember. Falls on? Okay. But it's, it, it's at least a week or two, right? A couple of days, okay. Oh, I always felt like it was longer before me, but maybe it was shorter. But what, whether you're in school or whether you're not in school, what are you doing leading up pretty much the whole month of December as a kid? You're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and you're anticipating what? Gifts. So in a roundabout way, that fits the at least, even though that's a more materialistic, fleshly practice, it fits the spiritual concept because we are learning to wait, that anticipation. Now, we are supposed to be waiting for the celebration of the incarnation, but the waiting part is still instrumental and it's, it's a principle that we have to learn as Christians because we all do a lot of waiting in life, do we not? We do a lot of waiting. So this, I'm just going to look at some scriptures here and we can see how we want, what, we'll see what they do with the concept of waiting and we'll see if we can improve upon it, if we can change it, if we agree or disagree, right? So they asked this question, what do we gain by learning to wait? What do we gain by learning to wait? Now, I think that's a great question from a spiritual standpoint, right? Now, I don't know. From a practical standpoint, I don't know, right? Like, if I'm looking at it from the most fleshly, practical standpoint, what do you gain from waiting? I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, if we look at it, say, from a, uh, I have a very different approach to, say, Christmas. Forget, forget the spiritual aspect from the physical aspect of it, Right? Here's my feelings, this is my feelings about Christmas, is, and this, this is just from a, a purely physical standpoint, if you are a kid, Christmas is unique and special, and that lasts for how long? It's temporary, because uh, sooner or later you're no longer going to be a kid, and then when you're an adult, it never captures the same magic it had as, as a kid, right? It can't. It just can't. When you're a kid, are you worried about money? No, are you worried about where the gifts come from? No, you can get caught up in the whole magic of it, right? And it's fun, it's exciting, you get time off from school, you get to do things. So I am one who feels 
that I don't like. For me, I would prefer the kids to get the gifts way early so that they have that time, it's, it, like from the moment they get out of school, right? Like the first day out of school, I'm like, give them the gifts then. Then they got their entire time off school to play and enjoy that magical time because guess what? Before they got to go back to school and life goes back to normal. And before long, they're no longer going to be a kid and be able to enjoy it. So I'm all for not making them wait because I'm not trying to teach a spiritual lesson. I want them to be able to capture as much as they can as a kid. Now, if they're homeschooled, that's different. But, you know, at least from a public school perspective. So I have a different perspective. But I do understand if you remove that aspect of it, typically, as Christians, typically... We argue there is spiritual value in waiting, right? I, I, think, I think that we believe that as Christians. Maybe we don't. Right? I think we believe that. So if you were to take, now we, I won't put you on the spot, but start thinking of at least three spiritual benefits that derive from waiting. Start thinking of three. I don't know if they're going to even come close to helping us here, but we will, we will see if we can come up with three True spiritual benefits that come from waiting. I think I've got one. I think I've got one. But see if we can come up with three. Now, we'll see if we agree with what they do, but, but I, I want to try to make this as, as beneficial as possible, all right? So everyone ready? Where do you think they go first to deal with what do we gain by learning to wait? They go to the book of Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 29. Genesis 29, and if you look at that story, you're going to see a story about Jacob and about a woman named Rachel, right? Everybody remember how this all went down? Jacob wanted to marry whom? Rachel. And he had to do what to get Rachel? Yeah, he, he works to get Rachel, but he gets tricked and he ends up with Leah, right? And then he has to work another seven years in order to get Rachel, correct? Is that a pretty good uh, summary, right? Now, look at Genesis twenty nine twenty and tell me what you read there. as he was, as some translations put, as he was much in love with her, or something along those lines. Does King James say something similar? For the love he had to her. Now, typically, we, we look at that in kind of a romantic, romanticized way and go, oh, how awesome. It felt like just a short time because he loved her so much. Awesome, great, okay. But what does that tell us about waiting? Like what would be the spirit? Does that point to a spiritual benefit? I'm going to read what they wrote here in regards to this verse. Okay. He does have to wait, right? At least we think he does, correct? Okay. It says, willingness, this is what they say, willingness to wait confirms to us the importance of an object, of an objective or person. Willingness to wait confirms to us the importance of an objective or person. So they're looking at it that the benefit that would derive from it, it shows to us 
how important something is. If you're willing to wait for it, then it's important to you. That it, it serves as almost like a test. Now, I don't know how that would spiritually work, right? Because spiritually, I guess this would serve to me to show me, well, this, this really means something to you because you're willing to wait for it. I don't know exactly how that translates into a practical benefit spiritually. I don't know if I have a, a good way of knowing how that works. But, hey, oh, I'm going to read what they have to say. I, I, I see what they're saying, but I, I guess that does show that, he's, that she's important to him, right? He's willing to wait seven years. He could have just said, you know what? I got Leah. I'm good, right? I, I'm good. I got Leah. I'm, I'm good to go. Sorry, Rachel. I'm moving on with my life, right? But that he's willing to wait for her. I don't know. That's, okay. Well, yeah, Abraham and Hagar did, right? Well, I mean, true, true. So I don't know. I I think I see what they're trying to say. Let me let's read what they let's read their their paragraph here. People often wonder if working a long time for something they desire is worth it. Jacob worked seven years to marry Rachel after being tricked. He agreed to work seven more years for her, although he did get to marry Rachel shortly after he married Leah. So now, if he, that's what I was going to say. I don't think he really, I don't think he had to wait the whole seven years. Okay, I, I, I think he got to marry her relatively quickly after. But he's, so, so I don't even know why they use this. They say the most important goals and desires are worth working and waiting for. Movies and televisions have created the illusion that people have to wait only about an hour to solve their problems or get what they want. Don't be trapped into thinking the same is true in real life. Patience is the hard is hardest when we need it the most, but it is the key to achieving our goals. I, I just don't know. Fulfill, right, yeah. So I don't know how long he had to wait. He had to do the work, but I don't know how long he had to actually wait to get her because my understanding is he gets her relatively soon. He just has to work. Right, so I don't know if that really is a great example. Of, I don't think that's a great example. Oh, I have to wait a week. Like, no, I mean, like if you had to wait seven years to get her, then okay, then I don't see this as a good example. He had to, this just shows he fulfilled his commitment. That he just shows that he was willing to work for her. Yeah, I, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's a good example of patience. I don't know. Yeah, I'm. Right. Maybe, uh, yeah. Right. Right. So it was only a week. 
Then, but he continued to work the seven. I don't think that's a good example of waiting. I don't think so. I don't, I don't I'm not, I'm not a, do what? Now who? Abraham. Yeah. Yeah. They, they definitely had to wait a long time. Now they, they didn't wait so well because they, but, but at least it shows their struggle with waiting. And at least shows they had to wait years and years and years and years and years and years. They failed once, right. But, which, but that's more realistic, showing waiting. This is not a really good example of waiting. It's just a, a more example of fulfilling your commitment. You're going to say, okay, I got Rachel, I got Leah, let's go. All right, we're, 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 we're belling. So I, yeah, I, I'm not a fan of this one. So this one I don't think helps. I'm going to say this one does not help in any meaningful way. All right, let's go to a second one and see. Now, I, I, well, let's state this. Their example, I think, is horrible. So let's do this. The principle, though, do we believe willingness to wait confirms to us the importance of an, ob- of an objective or a person? Do we believe waiting confirms to us the importance of an objective or a person? Rachel. Right, but I mean, he gets her a week after. He gets her a week after. Yeah, so I... I but I'm just saying, forget that verse, because I don't know if that verse helped. I'm just saying, in general, do we believe waiting confirms to us the importance of something? If we're willing to wait for it, it shows that it's important to us. I think that there's probably a level of truth to that. I think there's a level of truth to that concept. Or d- does anyone disagree? I, th- I, th- I think if you're willing to wait for something, it has to be important to you or you wouldn't wait for it, Right. So I'm going to say that that principle is true. My issue is, I don't know how that translates over, like, is this, is this trying to say in a roundabout way, well, if God is really important to you, then you'll wait for him. But I don't know exactly how that translates. Well, how are we waiting? Like, we're living our life, whether God comes back or doesn't come back. Whether Christ returns or not, we're still living our life. And we live our life in a pretty normal way, right? So I guess in one way, I... I I guess if I show you, I'm so waiting for Christ and I so believe he's going to come back, that radically transforms the way I live. I guess, but I don't know if that even has anything to do with waiting. That has more to do with probably the concept of guilt and shame and sin and judgment. Like there's a million other things that I don't think my motivation to try to do the right thing as a Christian has anything to do with the fact that because I'm waiting, it has typically to do with a lot of other factors, I think. So I don't know how the waiting translates to me spiritually. I, I, I'm just going to lay that one aside because I don't know what to do with it spiritually. Like I want to make, I think it's true that in, like if you're, if you, I don't even know because so much of that waiting is a passive thing to me, right? And a lot of the examples turns into, well, I'm willing to do this. And it's more that I'm willing to work for something that's important to me more than I'm willing to wait for it, right? Waiting seems more passive than an action. But yeah. Yeah, I don't have a good, I don't have a good answer for this one. I don't have a good answer. So we'll, we'll circle back to it, all right? If, if, if someone comes up with a great way to use this. I'm willing to hear it, but for now, we'll, we'll step away. Let's go to Psalm 27 and see if they help us better here because uh, that Genesis 29 was not very helpful. Let's see if Psalm 27 helps us with the next point. 
Psalm 27. Yeah, this is supposedly point two, supposedly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a question mark there until we, <laughs> until we see what happens here. Right, that first one, I, I'm not so sure what to do with it. I want to do something with it, but I'm not so sure. All right. Well, I could, depending on how you wait, I guess. Right? It depends on how you wait. So, but I don't think they're meaning it that way, but I guess it could, right? I mean, it's, I, I guess to wait, like I said, wait is a generic concept. How you wait is probably the issue, right? You can wait and just be like, eh, whatever. I, I think there's some parables Jesus tells about like that, right? Like you can be waiting and watching, or you can be waiting and like, whatever. He's never coming back, right? But then are you really waiting? So that, 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 be, that leads to lots of questions. All right. All right, but here we go. Let's just start in Psalm 27. We'll start in verse 1 and read down and, and see if we find the verse that you think that they're looking for. All right, everybody ready? We'll start in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, when the wicked even mine enemies and my foes come upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumble and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, and I will be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion and a secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now, Shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me? Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me, put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Next verse, verse 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in the plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me as such as breathed out cruelty. I have fainted unless I have believed to see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Obviously, you know which verse they pick. They pick verse 14. All right. What point do you think they try to make from this? Are you ready for the principle they're going to give? Here's the principle. Waiting creates time during which we can trust God. Waiting creates time in which we can learn, which we can trust God. Now, I can agree that that psalm seems to speak of lots of negative things that David is facing, right? Psalm 27 is a psalm of David, is it not? I'm almost positive it is. Yes, okay. So, can we agree that David seems to be facing a lot of negative and possible dangers and difficulties in this psalm? I would agree he does. But he ends with, wait. He says it twice, correct? 
two times. So they're taking this as waiting creates a time where we have to trust God because whatever we're hoping or waiting for has not yet happened. And we develop trust in God because we are trusting in that which we cannot see or haven't experienced. Now, here's the paragraph, and let's see if this makes sense. David knew from experience what it meant to wait for the Lord. He had been appointed king at age 16, but not, did, not, did not become king until he was 30. During the interim, he was chased through the wilderness by jealous King Saul. David had to wait on God for the fulfillment of his promise to reign. Later, after becoming king, uh, he was chased by his rebellious son, Absalom. Waiting for God is not easy. Often it is seen, it seems that it isn't answer, that God isn't answering our prayers and doesn't understand the urgency of our situation. That kind of thinking implies that God is not in control or is not fair, but God is worth waiting for. Lamentations chapter three calls us to hope and wait on the Lord because God often uses waiting to refresh, to renew, and to teach. Make good use of your waiting time by discovering what God may be trying to teach you in them. Everyone look at Lamentations chapter 3, look at verses 24 through 26, and tell me what we see there. Lamentations 3, 24 through 26. Lamentations 3, 24 through 26. Let's see what we find. Everyone there? All right, 24 through 26. All right, here we go. The Lord, this is verse 24. All right, Lamentations 3, 24. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Right? It does talk about hope. It does talk about wait. waiting and hope are, are similar, are they not? All right? There's a, there's a similarity here, right? We already talked about hope, right? Now it's the idea of waiting. So obviously, they were take, thinking of waiting, at, waiting in a very positive way, right? We are waiting for something. But all of, you see where we end up, we're, we're going to end right back into, right? We're going to end up right back into the same concept. We're hoping, in many cases, for something that what? We have not yet experienced or we have not yet seen. So hope very much is connected to waiting, right? So as we're hoping for something, we are waiting for it. And once again, we're waiting for that which we may not yet have seen or experienced or understand. So once again, then what's going to be key to all of this? It's faith. But they, So what they want to focus on here is supposedly the spiritual benefit or what do we gain by waiting? And they're just saying waiting creates a time period which we can trust God. So it's almost the idea, waiting, this is the way they're looking at it, waiting, and I said, I don't know, you know, that whole cause and effect is always a, a big debated thing, you know? 
is, is this affecting it? Is this causing it? So the way they're looking at it is waiting, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna paraphrase. Waiting, in a sense, creates a gymnasium, a gym where we go to, in a sense, to work out so that we can develop trust. But I, I said, I don't know if it works that way. Because to me, I can't, I'm not truly waiting unless I'm trusting. So does trust come first? Well, I mean, well, we're, we can all wait. But as we already said, waiting can be a negative thing or it can be a positive thing, right? I can wait in a positive way where I'm waiting almost in a hopeful, anticipating, positive way. Or I can wait where I just become what? Jaded. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, who cares? It's, I'm not even really, almost not even waiting anymore, right? I'm almost just, yeah, it's not even going to happen. I've almost given up on it. So to wait properly, what do you need to wait properly? You need faith slash trust, right? So then does waiting build the trust or does the trust make the waiting go the right way? You see, which, which comes first? They're arguing waiting creates the time so that I can learn to trust, but I don't think waiting creates me, creates a learning to trust. I think I've got to learn to trust before I can wait. I think the trust has to precede the waiting. I could be wrong. Now, y'all can tell me if you disagree. I'm, I'm just throwing out a theory. I, I just, for me, if I don't have the trust, the waiting, I don't think in the waiting I'm going to develop the trust. I think if I, the trust is not there, then so long into the waiting, I'm just going to do what? I'm just going to be like, oh, whatever. I'm just, whatever, whatever. Yeah, it's just like, what? Well, is he ever coming back? Is this ever going to work? Is, is God ever going to fix this? Is God ever going to make this right? Like you start having a million questions, right? Where is God? Why did God do this in the first place? The trust has to be solid there. And, and so then the key is, how do you develop the trust? Well, we haven't gotten to that, and that's not really one of the principles, but it's the, the trust. I, 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 I'm not, I'm having a hard time there. I still, I still don't see a spiritual benefit yet, right? So far they gave us... A willingness to wait confirms to us what is important. We don't really know what to do with that spiritually. This one, willingness creates times during which we can trust God. Okay, let me, let me, let me see if I can play on, see if I can work on this, see if I can work on this. All right. If we're going to say we trust in God, I'm going to try to reverse this. The only way to know if you trust in God would be put in a situation in which you have to wait. Correct? Right. So like, you, because it's easy to say we trust God if we're not waiting or anticipating or hoping for anything, right? I can trust God. That's just a theoretical concept, right? Oh, I trust in God. That's theoretical. Now, once everything begins to fall apart, right? So first you have to have trial. You have to have difficulty. You have to have need. Once that happens, now, now, do you really trust in God? Well, you'll know if you have to wait 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years before God. You may have to wait your whole life until either you're in heaven or you're waiting for the second coming. Then you, so I think waiting, I don't know if waiting develops trust. I think waiting does what? 
it can prove, confirms or proves or tests your trust. Because Abraham and Sarah is a good example, right? Because they, you think in some ways they do have faith, they do trust, but that gets tested and they fall. Correct? They fall. Well, not to sit in judgment of them, but they, I mean, you can understand. They, they don't understand what's going on. It makes no sense, right? They have no clue. So they fall. We do the same thing. So I think waiting creates a situation in which our trust of God is put to the test. I think that's a spiritual benefit. Waiting provides us, provides us a test to see how much we trust and believe. Waiting provides us the test. And, and it's a genuine test because you know, and I know. Because sometimes you're just like, okay, God, what are you doing? Why, 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 why? What is happening? And, and, and all you can do sometimes is wait because you don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't. And there's a lot of uncertainty. Now, the, the thing is, I, I, oh, this is important. All right. So let's put that one down. Waiting provides us an opportunity to have our trust tested. I think that's a spiritual benefit. But here's a question. And it's not so much a spiritual benefit, but I think it's something to be concerned. I think something we have to think about. When we wait, when we think of waiting as a Christian, what are we waiting for? Because I think some churches almost place the waiting as we're waiting for God to intervene in the here and now, right? Like he's going to make your situation better. He's going to heal the person. You're going to get that job. You're going to get that pay raise. You're going to get this. And we're waiting for God to intervene within our lifetime. But I don't know if that's where we are to really put our waiting. Our waiting and hope should not be in what God will do in this life. Our waiting and hoping has to be what God will ultimately do because the only thing we have certainty of is what what is it death what he ultimately will do right a, a resurrection eternal life like that's what we have to that uh i i think i think that there i think sometimes when there's messages on waiting or hoping i think it the emphasis is on hey don't give up today because hey next week it's all going to get better next week next month it's all going to get better like I think Christians are very quick to offer God's intervention into the now, which then turns waiting into a a very detrimental thing spiritually, right? Because if you're waiting for God to intervene into the situation, God may not intervene into the situation. I was told that multiple times, right? I was told that like, hey, hey, now that you're a Christian, trust and wait in God. He's going to fix your family situation. Did God fix my family situation? No, not only did he not fix it, I, got, I ended up living with another family, right? About 20 miles going that way, out in the middle of nowhere in a big ranch, right? That's where I ended up. Okay. Wait, then when I, when I found out my mom was in the hospital, guess what I was told? Wait, hope, because God was going to do what? Fix it. No, it, it, it she, my mom didn't walk out of the hospital. Okay, she died, right? So didn't, didn't fix it. Same thing when my dad got cancer. How did that work out? Died. So 
I'm saying if we put our hoping and waiting into God intervening in the here and now, I think that can be actually very detrimental to one's Christian life. Because God does not always intervene. He did not intervene to help John the Baptist, did he? Now, he ultimately helped him because he left this life and, well, fine. So I, I think we, when we think about waiting, I think it can be spiritually detrimental if we think the waiting and hoping is for what God will do in our lifetime because God may never intervene in our lifetime in the way that we want. What we, are, what we have to hope for is what is solid, what is great, what is solid? That we will have eternal life, there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more tears, we'll have a new body, we'll have eternal life and eternal glory. That is certain, we believe that to be certain. Anything else, we have no guarantees in life, no guarantees, no certainty. The life of believers are filled with the same pain, disappointments, trials, and tribulations as unbelievers. Believers get sick, unbelievers get sick. Unbelievers face tragedy, believers face tragedy. Unbelievers face death, we face death. They face disease, we face disease. There is literally no difference between the life of a believer and unbeliever and what may or may not happen in our life. It rains on the just and the unjust, right? We don't know what's going to happen. So I think that's a, that's a, maybe that's the most important principle we may derive from this. Even though that's not a principle in this book, and I know it's not maybe a, I think it's, I actually think it's spiritually beneficial. Because if we don't learn that, we're going to be, we're going to be set for disappointment, disillusionment, and probably deconstruction. I think that's why a lot of people are, you know, have made those deconstruction videos because they like, where's God? I believed in God. What did he do for me? Well, because maybe you were taught to wait and hope on God and the wrong thing. Now, I know that sounds like I'm trying to get God off the hook. I'm not trying to get God off the hook. I'm just saying if you wait for, if your anticipation is for God to intervene in this life, you're going to be sadly disappointed, I believe. All right, we'll have to stop there. I know we didn't get far, but there we go. We're, We're working on this second principle of Advent, which is anticipation or waiting. We're trying to understand the positive nature of waiting, but when, I think what we have stumbled upon is the possible negative implications of waiting when we are told to wait for the wrong thing in the wrong time. So I think that's very important. All right, let's start right there. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Thank you for this first hour. We pray that the second hour we'll, we'll advance this and continue to learn and try to avoid some of the errors that happen. And we ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. And God's people said,